Good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? If you have your Bibles, if you could open them up to Philippians chapter 1, there's a message outline right there, the center doors at the ministry counter. Today, the message is a standalone message. Next week, we're going to start a short Christmas series, and we'll come back to our series, Unstoppable, sometime in January. Now, I've lived life long enough to know that how quickly can go off the tracks. They go off the track real easy. We start with the wonderful expectation, don't we? And it's not before long where we're looking at life and say, I didn't think life would turn out like this. You ever think that? I didn't think life would turn out like this. I remember hearing a Christian counselor saying, one of the main things that makes people feel down is broken expectations. They have expectations and they're broken. And because broken expectations, they disappoint us. And, And if they linger long enough and they're serious enough, they take us into just despair and depression. Before long, they ignite things like bitterness and anger, and it turns into hatred many times. When you think about that, it, it makes sense because we're all, we were born in a sense with kind of optimism, in a sense. We're born with that. And I think we we're born, we're thinking life is going to be okay, don't we? We look at life, and when you're young, especially when you're young, oh, life's going to be okay. It's going to be grand. Everything is going to be fine. And we think life is going to be really good for us, and, and I'm going to get, get in a really good place in my life, and everything's going to be great, and, and we're going to end up in a good home. We're going to end up in a nice home. I'm going to have a great job, a good career, and, and, and if I have children, they're going to be wonderful children. They're going to be good children. I'm going to have a healthy body, and I'm not going to have any sickness or anything like that. We get to that point. And then things happen in our life, and we kind of say, how did I get stuck in a place like this? How did they get stuck in a job like this? How did they get stuck in this relationship? How did they get stuck with this unhealthy body? We begin to ask the questions, how? How did I do this? Because we didn't think life would turn out like this, did we? We didn't think it was going to turn out like this. Or if the place doesn't get you in life, where you wind up in life, the people probably will. Because in the world, I think we're born with, we all think we're kind of charming and appealing, don't we? We're pretty charming. And, and when people really get to know me, we all think, they're really going to like me, right? Because I'm charming, I'm appealing. And what's not the love, right? That's what we think about ourselves. And then when they get there, they're going to affirm me. They're going to like me. They're going to come around me. They're going to support me. They're going to be nice to me and all those kind of things. Only to discover as we get in life that that doesn't turn out like that. And when we get around people that people don't think we're all that, like we think we are. They don't think we're like that. And they get around us, and what we kind of look at, we look at people and say, these people must be really lame that I'm hanging around because something's wrong with them because I'm a really nice person. I'm a really good person, we start to think to ourselves. One philosopher said this, the more I get to know people, the more I like my dog. And and it's so true many times. People begin to think that I'm stuck in, in this place with these people, and I'm stuck in this relationship. So what I want to do this morning, see if God has any advice for us this morning, how to live a positive, victorious life, uh, a life that we head on, we're going to have broken expectations, and sometimes we're going to be in bad places with some pretty lame people sometimes, right? And we're going to find that out in a minute in the scripture. And I want to take you to the Apostle Paul in his testimony that he gave, where he was stuck in a pretty bad place with some pretty lame people in his life. But given in the context, we're going to see just in a minute that if I was in this place, or maybe if you were in this place, we would get very discouraged and maybe depressed and and kind of down and in despair, being stuck in a bad place with some pretty lame people. But we'll see in this passage in a moment that the Apostle Paul's on top of it at all. Matter of fact, he's delighted in his life situation that he's in. So maybe 
He understands something about life that we don't get and this life that we don't understand, that we can garner some information and some wisdom from the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start right there at uh, verse 12, the beginning of Paul's testimony. And Paul starts out, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Let me stop right there. Does anybody really know what happened to him? What's happening to him? Now, if you're in my small group on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Philippians, you know what's happening. Shake your head, nod your head, you know what's going on, right? You know what's happening right here. Let me ask you, where is Paul writing this letter? Where's he writing this letter to the church of Philippi? Where's he writing it from? He's writing it from prison. He's been arrested, and he's made several levels of appeal, and he's finally at his final level of appeal to Nero, that kind, gentle, spirited, uh, loving emperor of Rome. And now Paul, is, his case is on the Nero's docket. And so Paul's there in prison waiting. He's just waiting. So let me ask you, is, would you say Paul was stuck in a pretty bad place? Absolutely. He was stuck in a pretty bad place. He's in prison waiting, doesn't know if he's going to be, be guilty and, and killed, executed, or what. Especially if we think in the terms of his expectations. we got to understand his expectations. Paul, he was overwhelmed by Christ on the road to Damascus, right? That we read about that in Acts chapter 9 uh, through our series Unstoppable. And he accepts Jesus Christ as his Savior. And then he becomes, God gifts him and becomes a great preacher, a great missionary. He is a great apostle. He's the headliner wherever he goes. Everybody wants to hear the apostle Paul speak wherever he goes. They're waiting for him. He has global influence. influence. He travels around the known world, uh, planting churches, and he has all these things that are going on. And then all of a sudden, he's arrested. Now he's restricted to imprisonment in Rome. And I'm sure that Paul is thinking, I didn't think life would wind up like this. Don't you think he's thinking that? I was doing all these things for God, and I didn't think life would wind up like this. Let's read verse 12 again. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Beginning in verse 12, he says, now I want you to know. How many of you think that they already knew that Paul was in prison? How many of you think that they probably knew that? They knew that, right? They knew he was in prison. So what Paul is really saying, what he's really saying, I want you to understand my life situation and what's going on in my life. And that's an important thing for people to understand that, right? Because when we're stuck in a really bad place and you know the situation, and matter of fact, you, you think about it in your mind and you go over it in your mind over and over and you can't wait to share that bad situation with somebody. Do you know what I'm going through? Do you see what I'm going through? You want to share that with them. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I want you to understand what has happened to me. I really want you to get what is happening to me. And that's a huge transition in his life right there to tell you. I want you to understand what's happened to me. Let me ask you, when is the last time you sought to understand what God was doing in your life in that bad place that you might be in? When is the last time you actually went to God and said, God, help me to understand what's going on in my life right now as I'm in this difficult spot, this bad place, or wherever I'm at? And the next question, when was the last time you looked for the hand of God in that place in your life? That you actually asked God, help me in this bad place. Not just get me out of it. But help me right here as I'm in this bad place, this difficult spot, wherever I'm at, this hard time, that I ask God to help me. Let's read verse 12 and 13. He says, I want you to understand, brothers, I want you to get this, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, Paul's imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ is what he's saying. So here's Paul guarded by Roman's best guards, the palace guard, the imperial guard. And he says, my imprisonment, it, it, it says, my, really my imprisonment is for the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of Christ. And that's kind of a head scratcher. Because to me, Paul being loose and having that global ministry would be really the advancement for the cause of Christ. Wouldn't you think that? Him planting churches and being out there and traveling the known world and planting churches would be really the advancement of the cause of Christ. But how could Paul's imprisonment advance the gospel? Are you thinking that? Say, yeah, you're thinking that, right? You're thinking that. How could Paul's imprisonment advance the gospel? And I'm glad you're thinking that way. I'm glad you're with me on that. Because if you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, at the end of the book, and Paul closes the letter and he gives us some insight right there. In verses 21 and 22, he says this. You have it? Verse 21 and 22. He said, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. How did the gospel get to Caesar's household? Let me explain uh, something that might have happened. I don't know if it exactly happened this way, but what might have happened. That Paul is in prison. He, he's been arrested. And he's put in prison by, for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the synagogues. So he's arrested. And in the prison cell, he has these palace guards around him, the best guards of Rome's around him. And you're thinking, how many of you think that these palace guards have probably guarded some pretty sleazy people? I mean, people that deserve to be in there, right? They really deserve to be in there. You think that? They probably have. And so maybe they look at the Apostle Paul and they're scratching their head, what's this guy doing here? So maybe they ask him, say, what's a guy like you doing in a place like this? Why are you in here? And maybe Paul says, oh, you don't, don't even ask. You don't want to know how God has called me to this ministry. He gave me this global ministry, and he sent me, you know, and, and I went out. And now look what he's done to me. I'm in prison. Look at us. I don't want to talk about it. Paul didn't say that, did he? But maybe that's what we would say, right? That's what we would be grumbling and complaining. Look what God has done to me now. I did all this for God, and now I'm in prison. But Paul, could it be that Paul said, now that you've asked, let me share with you. I'm here for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me, let me take you back, though, a moment to right after the crucifixion of Jesus. You remember, he was who, was who was guarding the tomb of Christ at that time? It was the palace guard. It was the imperial guard regarding him. So there was an unbelievable moment. Their guards fall down, like dead, the Bible says. The stoners rolled away. The angels are there. The tomb is empty. Now let me ask you, is it possible? Do you think that maybe word got back to Rome through those palace guards? That they went back and they shared that right there? Probably. Probably got back to, to there in Rome and they heard about it. So maybe the guard asked Paul, says, Paul, what's a guy like you doing in a place like this? And Paul says, you know, I'm here for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe the guard looked and says, really? I heard about that. I heard what happened down there, down in Jerusalem. What, tell me, what happened? And then Paul begins to tell him about the, the resurrection. He unfolds the resurrection, tells the meaning of the resurrection, and shares the gospel with this guard. And the guard comes to accept Jesus Christ as a Savior. And he maybe goes on break and he says, man, you've got to go in there because the guy I'm guarding in there, he, he knows about that thing that happened down there in Jerusalem. You remember that thing that happened? And he goes in there, and Paul begins to share with him about the resurrection, tells him the gospel, and he comes to accept Christ, then another guard. And then finally we see the gospel has landed in Caesar's household. I don't know if it exactly happened like that, but it happened something like that, something similar. So Paul could write at the end of the book of Philippians, 
all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. He can actually say it because many people are coming to Christ in Caesar's household. And this opens up all kinds of things. When you're stuck in a bad place, now let's get to our message outline. You all have that handy, right? The message outline. Let's look at it. Understanding expectations. Did it ever cross your mind? Did you ever think about this? Number one, that God has strategically placed you in your life circumstance for a purpose. That God has strategically placed you right where you are, right at this very moment, whether it's a bad, difficult, hard time, good time, indifferent time, whatever it may be, for a purpose. That you're there for a purpose. And your bad attitude, grumbling and complaining, can sabotage that purpose. Or your good attitude, positive attitude, like the Apostle Paul, can ignite that purpose. Have you ever thought about that? That God has you right where you're at right now for a purpose. And if I'm grumbling and complaining and negative and all that, I can sabotage the purpose that God is trying to work in my life. But if I'm positive and say, okay, God, what do you ever have? I can ignite that purpose. So I think Jesus calls us to bloom where we're planted. Wherever he plants us, is, that's where I want you to do. Where I want you to be. And I want to use you right there. And maybe you say, well, how does that happen? Well, just wait a minute. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Paul's going to reveal that in just a couple verses, a few verses. But before we go there, we've got to talk about this people thing, because if the place doesn't get you, people will, right? They usually will. And let's continue reading as Paul kind of unfolds his testimony here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 15. He's speaking to the Roman believers who now have courage to preach the gospel because Paul is in prison. And then he gets to verse 15, and he says this. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy, envious against him, against Paul, in rivalry, competition against Paul, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach, uh, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So Paul is surrounded by Roman believers, people who have put their faith and trust in Christ, but there's a whole bunch of them that don't like him. They don't like him. I mean, there's all people, many times people don't like important people, uh, people who have authority, people who get recognition in the press, people don't like them. And maybe all these believers have been sitting in the house churches. And that's where Paul's letters are read. And his letters are read all the time in these house churches. Like, oh man, I'm so tired. Paul, 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 all we read about is his letters and Paul's letters and all those kind of things, how he's brought people to Christ. You know, I've written letters. No word reads my letters in the church. And all we hear about how many people he's leading to Christ and all that's going on in Paul's life. But now he's in prison. And you're thinking to yourself, now it's my chance. It's my chance to headline now. And that's what I can do. Now I can lead people to Christ. And I can become more important than the apostle Paul is what they're thinking in their heart and their mind. That's what it's saying. They don't like him so much. They don't like what he's doing. So they're hoping as they share the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ with others that it will bother Paul while he's in prison. Think about that. This man's in prison. They want to bother him. Or it might stir up trouble for Paul while he's in prison. That's what they're thinking. So here Paul is stuck with some pretty envious and devious people, isn't he, that's around him. Some pretty lame people that are looking to hurt him while he's still in prison. But Paul concludes this in verse 18. He says this. But what does it matter? I'm praying that God will take them out. Does it say that? Now, that may be what we would say. But he doesn't say that. That's not the way Paul looks at it. He says, but what does it matter? Listen to what he says. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. 
And because of this, he says, I rejoice. I rejoice. Let me ask you, are you all happy with this, this thing that we find, that competitiveness and rivalry among individual Christians and also in churches? That died at the first century, didn't it? And we don't have that where people compete against one, each other and jealousy of each other's gifts and stuff like that. Are we woken up to this fact that God did not call us to compete against each other, but he called us to go arm in arm against the gates of hell with the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of Christ. That's what he's called us to do, that we would do that. And I wish it was an easy lesson to learn, but it's not. Many years ago, I was in a conference down in Georgia, and uh, one of the pastors kind of was sharing some things that— uh, he had a very large church, and he was going to build this large building because their church was growing, and they were going to build all these buildings on this. And he's looking for property. They were looking for some property, and they couldn't find any property. Finally, they found a piece of property. But right down the road from this, from this piece of property was a very small church, and they didn't want to hurt this small church. So they continued to look for property, but they couldn't find any. So they ended up purchasing that property. They built their massive church building on there, and once they opened up, on Sunday mornings, it was jammed. I mean, the streets were jammed. All through the weeks, the streets were jammed because of all the ministries they had. And then one day, the pastor was in, this pastor Lord church was in the church, and he got a call from the pastor down the road, that small church pastor. And he didn't want to talk to that small church pastor because he felt, felt like that pastor in that small church was going to let him have it. But he got on the phone with him, the large church pastor, got on the phone with the small church pastor. The small church pastor introduced himself, and then he began to say that, his church has been praying for years that God would reach this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he says, I just want to let you know that you and your church have been an answer to our prayers, that God is using you. And, and I also want to know that we're so thankful for you and what God is doing through your ministry. And then he went on. He didn't stop there. He went on, and I, I want to let you know, I see that your, your parking lot is filled and overflowing. And, you know, we're right down the street, and we have a very large parking lot. We only use a portion of it, and you're more than welcome to use our parking lot on Sunday morning before you overflow. Now, that pastor got it about as followers of Jesus Christ. They were not to get into this envy and strife and competitiveness and who has the largest churches, the most ministry, and all those kind of things. But we're to go arm in arm against the gates of Haiti, uh, hell, and we're to fit the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do, to take that. And Paul knew and understood this. He got that. He understood it all. It wasn't about who's reaching more for Jesus. He, didn't, he understood that. That's why Paul said, what does it matter? So what? So what? He says, is Christ being preached? And he goes, in that I rejoice. I rejoice because Christ is being preached. That's all that really matters is what he was saying there. How does Paul get to that place in his life right there where he's thinking like that, that point that stuck in a real bad place? We all agree that he's in a really bad place, right? He's in a bad place, and he's thinking he's positive. And the gospel is going through his life. He's coming through his, through his life, and people are hearing about the gospel. He's there, stuck with lame people who are devious and envious of him and, and sharing it with the wrong motives of the gospel. But he's saying, that's fine. Christ is being preached. That's all that really matters. doesn't matter if it's wrong motives, false motives. doesn't matter. How do you get to this wonderful attitude in the midst of these kind of broken expectations? How do we arrive there in broken expectations? He gives us the clue in verses 19 and 20. helps us to understand that. Let's read verse 19. He said, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, here it is. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And with Paul, the interesting thing, Paul is, life is driven by one expectation. It's only one expectation, and it's your number two in your outline. It says the only expectation is to magnify Christ. The only expectation is to exalt Christ, is what he's saying. That's it. That wherever he is, whoever he's with, he says, I will magnify Christ. In a sense, he says, I will make Jesus large in my life, is what he's saying. That he will take the invisible Christ, and he will make him visible through his life, is what he's saying. He says he will put the magnifying glass on the love, the mercy, the grace, the wisdom, forgiveness, the justice, and the sovereignty of God, so that wherever he is, whoever he is with, he's saying, I will magnify the name of Jesus. I will make him large in that moment of my life. It doesn't matter where I'm at. It doesn't matter what I'm going through, whether good or bad. It doesn't matter that I will make that decision, that wherever I'm at, whoever I'm with, I will magnify Jesus. But you know what I love about this when you read about this is that broken expectations are what other people do to us, right? We're usually the victims of broken expectations because they're generally, they're out of our control. We can't control those, those expectations that we set on ourselves. But this expectation, that whoever I am and whoever I'm with, wherever I am and whoever I'm with, I will find a way to magnify Christ in my life. It's fully in my control. No one can take that expectation out of my life. I have full control. Any other expectation that I have, I don't have control over that. Somebody can do something to me and thwart that expectation. But this one, this one, that wherever I am, whoever I'm with, I can magnify Christ in my life. That one, I have full control of it all the time. No one can thwart it. No one can stop it. It's fully in my hands. Every day, every moment, every opportunity, every circumstance, situation that I'm in, I have that opportunity to do that. So Paul's in prison. And Paul is saying, I'm going to find a way to magnify Christ in my life. And he, and he did that. He did that. As a result, his heart was full of joy. And this morning, if you want to have joy in your life, right now where you're at, find a way to magnify Christ in your life right now. And we can all do it. No matter, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you're going through. We can find a way to do that. With these envy rivalry people hoping to stir up trouble with Paul, Paul is saying here, he's asking, is Christ magnified? That's the only question. That's the only question. It doesn't matter what anybody's doing to them. It doesn't matter what they're saying about them. It doesn't matter how jealous and envious and devious they are. It doesn't matter how lame of people they are and how everyone's so bad. He says, yes, the gospel is being preached. So that's all that matters. Christ is being magnified. And my expectation has been fulfilled, so I have joy in my heart. That's the key. That's the key right there. That's the expectation. That's what he's saying. I wonder this morning, what expectation did you wake up with this with this morning in your own heart? What was your expectations when you woke up? You ever think about this? Did you ever cross your mind that maybe you ought to take those expectations that you woke up with this morning, just throw them in a trash can and light a match? And just let them go? Say, I'm gonna let them go. And then just have this one, embrace this one expectation that wherever I am whoever I'm with, that I will magnify Christ. That's the expectation. Just that one. What a difference that would make in our lives if we all lived that way, right? That we'd have that expectation that wherever I am, whoever I'm with, 
I will magnify Jesus in that moment of my life. Have you ever had something happen to you and maybe you didn't respond or act the right way? And you said some things, and boy, I shouldn't have said that. And maybe you had your car fixed, and it was the car mechanic, or the person you went to, they, the bill was wrong, and boy, you said some things to them that you're kind of ashamed of that you shouldn't have said. Or maybe it was, uh, you were at a restaurant, you said something to the waiter or waitress that you shouldn't have said. Or maybe it was the store clerk, you made, made some comments and said some things that you were ashamed of. This boy, you thought about it later, said, boy, I'm ashamed of what I said there. What Paul is saying here, he's saying this, in nothing, in nothing I will be ashamed. He says, but now as always, my eager expectation is that Christ will be magnified in my life. That's what he's saying. We think about, wow, that's what we would always want in our lives, right? To magnify Christ in every situation in our life. But so many times, what is our expectation? That everything would go our way, right? We always said, our expectation, we have these plans, these expectations, and we want everything to go our way. And if they go our way, everything's going to be great, right? But how many times does everything go our way? Hardly ever, does it? This Christmas season, I want you to think about that. You're going to have all these plans, and things aren't going to go your way, are they? But if we had woken up and we'd said this, the simple thing says, today, regardless of what happens, I will magnify Christ in my life. That's all I expect out of today. That's all I expect. Just think if we live like that. That's all I expect out of today, that I will magnify Jesus. So many times when we complain and we argue with others because uh, things didn't go our way, and we didn't magnify Christ in that situation we were in. And then God does something amazing in that situation we were in. He does something amazing we did not expect. And he gives us the opportunity to magnify Christ during that time. But instead, we're not able to do that because we didn't magnify him along the way with others, did we? Because we were so worried, had wrong expectations, because we wanted everything to go our way. And we missed opportunities. Now, I've been a pastor for a long time, and me before that, as a Christian, that I've been around people who've went through some pretty difficult things. Through illness that led to death, and also to watch their other loved ones pass away, and, and people who were sick, had cancer, heart problems. I've been around people who have been through divorce and, and hoping to reconcile and went through terrible relationship problems. I've been around people with job situations and, and I went through all kind of difficult circumstances. And I've watched some that, boy, and what they were going through, I just kind of admired them. I stood back and I just watched them, how they just magnified Christ through the whole situation. It was amazing to watch. But then I've been around others that all through the way, all they did was grumble and complain the whole way through what was happening. They grumbled and complained to the doctors and the nurses and yelled at the hospital staff. They grumbled and complained and argued with everybody that's coming around them, their Christian friends, their family. You don't get what's happening to me. You don't get what's going on in my life. You don't understand this. And then all of a sudden, God does something amazing in their life, something they didn't expect. And he gives them this opportunity to magnify him during that time. But it didn't have the impact in other people's lives. Why? Because all through the way, as they were going through those difficult times, those bad times, those hard times, they weren't magnifying Jesus along the way. So when God did something that was amazing in their life, whether he healed them, reconciled the relationship, gave them a new job or, or, or maybe a promotion, or that difficult situation they're going, that God did something amazing that would give them an opportunity to really magnify his name and give a strong testimony for Jesus. They're not able to do it because all along the way they didn't do that. If we really want to magnify Jesus, it has to be all the ways we're going through those difficult times. 
through those hard times. Whatever it may be, as Paul was in prison going through a difficult time, we've got to magnify him in every moment of our life, every situation. Not wait till it gets good and say, I'll magnify you then, Jesus. No, we're magnifying the whole way through. So when God delivers us or does something amazing in our life right then and there, we have this opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus and make him large and let people look to him and draw their attention to Jesus. But if we don't magnify him along the way those times, they're not going to have the impact that God wants them to have in our lives. And it's so important we understand that. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you don't really know what I'm talking about, you're not sure, that's the first step. That's the most important. The only way we can magnify Christ is we got to know him, right, first. And, and you need to understand that we're all sinners. Every one of us in this room are sinners. And because we're sinners, it separates us from a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. And none of us can approach a holy, just, righteous, perfect God because he's perfect and we're not. We're sinners. And there's no way we can bridge the gap. And God knows that. There's nothing you and I can do to bridge that gap with God. We're helpless and hopeless in our situation. So God, out of his love for us, sent his son Jesus from heaven. And Jesus, who's the son of God, who's God, came down to this earth and took on the form of a human being, became a man like us, to identify with us. He taught us how to live this life by his example. But then he went to the cross, and God placed upon Jesus all those things that separated us from God, all those sins that separate us from God, the reason we can't approach God because of all those things in our life, those, that sin. And Jesus died on the cross, and he paid the complete payment for every one of those sins, for every one of those things that separate us from, from God the Father. They're paid for. And now we have the opportunity. We can approach God the Father. We can be reconciled to him, but we have to come his way. The way he's provided is through his Son. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus and trust him as our Savior, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And if you've never done that, if you never came and been reconciled to God through Jesus, you need to do that today by simply coming and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And so today, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, who he is, that he's the Son of God, he's God, and what he did, that he died on the cross for my sins, he was buried and raised on the third day. Today, I put my faith in him. I trust him as my Savior. And when you do that, you become a child of God. Uh, your sins are forgiven. You open eternities with him forever and ever, right? And now we have an opportunity to magnify his name once I know him. So if you've never done that, please do that. If you still have questions, come to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. For all of you who are claim to be followers of Jesus, maybe you take out your message outline and you maybe write here, I want you to write just a couple statements on there. That you write on here this, that wherever I am, whoever I'm with, I will magnify Christ. Three lines. Wherever I am, whoever I'm with, I will magnify Christ. And at the top of that, put my expectation. My expectation. That's my expectation. And then make copies of it. Make copies of it and put one on your refrigerator so you see it all the time. Maybe put one on your mirror where you wake up. If you shave in the morning, if you shave or you put on your makeup or whatever, put it on your mirror. Put it on your Bible. Hopefully you read your Bible every day where you see it all the time. Uh, put it on your car and your dashboard someplace. You're driving the kids to school or you're driving to work, whatever. Put it at work. So you see that wherever you go. So you understand my expectation is that wherever I go, whoever I'm with, I will magnify Christ in my life. This Christmas season, 
as it's coming up. We have high expectations, all of us do. We have high expectations. We have all these plans, but those plans <laughs> never materialize. We, there are what we want, our expectations. It reminds me of the movie Christmas Vacation with Clark Griswold. Many of you probably say, he has all these expectations, but it never reaches that. They all fall short, don't they? And many times that's what happens to us because what we have planned, and we can never attain those because other people are involved, and they will disappoint us many times. But this expectation, that wherever I am, whoever I'm with, that I will magnify Christ, no one can change that. That's in my full control. Every moment that every day of my life, all through the Christmas season, I have full control of that expectation. Other ones you don't. That one you do. That I can magnify his name. And Jesus has called us to that expectation, to that expectation that they can give you joy. That wherever you are, that wherever you go, that is to magnify Christ. That's what we're called to do. To lift up his name. In a sense, to make him large. To lift up his name. So everyone would look at his name of Jesus. Not us. But we're to magnify his name. Look at him. He's the one that did it. He's the one that accomplished this. That's what we're to do. And I thought this morning, there's no better way to do that than us taking communion this morning. That this morning, as we open up the word of God, we magnify Christ, talking about him. And we sing songs that magnify Christ. But this morning, we want to magnify him as we take communion. Because when we take communion, we remember Jesus, right? We remember Jesus. And we magnify his name of who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, and that he's God, and what he did for us. That he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. And even including his ascension into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father. To remember him. So we exalt him. We lift him up. We make him large. And we magnify the name of Jesus as we take communion this morning. To remember what he did for us. Remember all that he did. And if you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to partake with communion. We have the elements at the table, three tables here. And come up and get the elements, one on top of the other, and take them back to your seats. And then we'll take them together. Make sure you take two cups, one on top of the other. But as you go back to your seats to take communion, I wanted to just spend some time thanking Jesus that he came and gave his body and he shed his blood. That's what the elements represent, is his body and his blood. That without the shedding of Jesus' blood upon that cross, you and I would not have forgiveness of sins. We would not have be reconciled to God the Father. We would not have hope in eternity to be with Jesus forever. We wouldn't have any of those things, would we? We'd be helpless and hopeless. And we wouldn't be able to magnify Jesus in our lives at all. But we'd be left on our own. But because of the blood shed upon that cross, you and I now have reconciliation with God the Father, forgiveness of sins, and we have hope in eternity to be with Jesus. And it's all because of Jesus. So I want to just spend some time thanking him for coming. Voluntarily, he came because he loves you so much. And thank him. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for giving your body and going through what they did to you, all that they did, and those sins being placed upon your back. And then also, did you come and say, God, and also confess any sin that may be in your life. And maybe you say, boy, God, I am not. Jesus, I have not magnified your name in my life. But today, may we make a commitment. Today, may you make that commitment that wherever I am, whoever I'm with, I will magnify Jesus in that situation, in that moment. We just come and we spend some time with him this morning in communion. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you so much. You're just a loving God. 
who sent your one and only son, Jesus. Nothing needs to be said no more about your love. You demonstrated your love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. And we are so thankful to you of what you did for us. So now, Lord, as we're taking communion to remember you and all that you did for us, let us spend some time remembering that you really did go to the cross. And you really did go through all that torture before the cross where they beat you and all those things they did to you. And then all the sins of my sins, the sins of the whole world are placed upon you. And you paid the payment for our sins. And your blood was shed upon that cross. And you really did die. It's just a story. It really did happen. And then you were buried. And then that third day, you rose from the dead. And you're alive. You're alive. And you conquered death. You conquered sin. You conquered Satan at the cross, at your resurrection. And today now, Lord, we have hope because of you, Jesus. Today we have forgiveness of sins because of you, Jesus. Today I have a relationship with God the Father because of you, Jesus. And it's all because of you, not because of us, not because of anything we did, not because of the church, but because of you, Jesus. And so today, Lord, we remember you, who you are and what you did for us. That that life that you gave, our minds can, can't, cannot comprehend that payment that you paid on the cross. And we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for what you did for us. So I pray that each one of us would spend time in our hearts and minds to worship you today, to say thank you. Thank you to you. And we might spend some time confessing our sins, Lord. Forgive us our sins. Forgive the things that we do many times, Lord, and we take you for granted so many times. Help us to humble our hearts before you and spend some time with you this morning confessing our sins, worshiping you, asking forgiveness, and Lord, just lifting your name up and making you large. Magnify your name this morning as we take communion and remember you. Let us exalt you as individuals and collectively as a church. May you be glorified this morning as we take communion together. May it bring you honor and praise in all that we do. We love you. We praise you. As we take these elements, Lord, we lift them up to you and say thank you for giving your body and shedding your blood. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.